Psalm 127 is where I'm headed for this morning, Psalm 127. If you're visiting with us this morning, we are doing a series that, a series that I said a couple weeks ago that is causing me a lot of angst and a lot of nervousness. The reason for that is, one, I want to make sure that I'm presenting truth that will be helpful to you. Another reason is the topic. I realize that when we go into a topic such as on the family, for some of you, it's irrelevant, or so you think. For some of you, you may say, I don't have children. We've already done the children thing. Or we're not married or we're newlyweds. And so there's a reaction sometimes when we talk about a certain series that says, it's not for me, I'm not going to do it. I think part of that is also some of our specialization here in this era that we live in. Everything, we can get specialty stuff that talks directly to our needs by internet, whatever. And we forget the bigger picture than that is of the body of Christ. The bigger picture is this, that if I were to preach a message that would, specific, that would touch your special need, it may not touch somebody else's. And so when we come into the Word of God and we do something, it is something that I think God leads that we would do that may not be to your pertinent situation right now, but there are principles because it comes from God's Word that you may be able to glean for the future, to pass on to others, to be able to encourage an individual who's going through it. So whether or not you are raising children, some of the principles that we're teaching here, I would encourage you to pay attention, to glean, to write down, so that you might be able to give to a co-worker who may Maybe later on, within the next few weeks, maybe saying, we're really struggling, we don't know what to do with our kids, you'd be able to have some principles to start sharing with them. I don't think God makes a mistake as he leads us into different Bible studies and different topics. Even though they may not apply to each and every one of us, some of us are done with rearing kids, but boy, oh boy, I can see the importance of this in the lives of those who are around us in raising the kids. With that in mind, join with me as I read out loud a passage talking about raising children. Except the Lord, Psalm 120. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman wakes but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for he so he gives his beloved sleep. Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. There's so much in this text, and we've looked at some of it. There's topics of this text about how the children are a blessing from God, mentioned in the verse 3. There's the idea of how children can be an encouragement to you, down in verse 4 and 5. There's the idea of having a full quiver. I have no idea how your quiver, how many your quiver can handle. But they're back in verse 1, there's that idea that building a home, building a family, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort. Actually, the word except the Lord build, it's the idea of remodel, rebuild. And when you think about building and remodeling, there are some instances that people have not done a great job. There are some building, whether it be family, but this morning for just a moment, go with me to some of those areas around the world where they have built houses that are kind of weird, that kind of look funny. For whatever reason they have chosen to build one upside down, I don't know. This one kind of gives me the creeps. I just expect Alfred Hitchcock to be smiling in this picture. Then there are some that have really made mistakes, like why are steps two feet over from the door? Or who would build the door right outside, right on a train track? Okay, here's one for you. How in the world do you change those light bulbs once you did that renovation? Another one, the stairs to absolutely the wall. That's where it ends. Here's one, the balcony is just a sudden drop. Or that's a modern day security system. <laughs> Figure that one out. A locked gate without any other gates around the place. 
that's a great balcony, the bottom one, no access to it. Or you better duck when you take this escalator. When you reach the top, it could hurt. Anybody see anything wrong with that door? Kind of like upside down? Yeah. Here's one. This, somebody had an afterthought on putting out that patio. Or, again, we have doors and windows at the wrong spot. Or renovation in a house. How are you ever going to close that bathroom door? You got these. Stairwell that comes out of the wall. There's renovation for you. And to make compensate, they put a chair underneath the door. <laughs> again, a door, a stairwell that has no access to get around. Or a fan in a barn. How does the fan operate? <laughs> Who builds a driveway that all of a sudden in the middle you put the tree? I guess they're looking over the prints. Somebody made a mistake. Your dollar's hard at work, Americans. Or middle-of-the-road obstacle, telephone pole. Right in the middle of the train tracks makes a lot of sense. Okay, your ATM machine. See where it's located? Really makes it hard to access that thing, boy. It's difficult. That is just plain uncomfortable. <laughs> bad placement, bad placement. What parent puts a slide right into a tree? This one is my favorite. You see the, the college? See they ran out of room for the word college? Do you see where the C is? Okay. I think the experts blew it. College of Architecture can't even get it right. We're a building. You and I are building. We can laugh at other people's mistakes, but what about the ones when we talk about the real building we're doing? The building that we're talking about, the foundation of building a family. The idea of raising kids that would honor the Lord. The foundation for building is really critical. We can talk about a lot of principles, but I need to spend a couple weeks going back to this. That you can't be raising kids that are going to honor and serve the Lord if you're not working on the first and primary relationship in your home, and that's between you and your spouse. Now, for some of you, you don't even have that opportunity anymore. Your spouse is gone. By choice that they have left or by choice of God's choice that he has taken them away. But for the majority, we sit here and we have our spouse with us. Thank the Lord for that. And we have to realize that working on our relationship with our kids is really important, but more important is working with our relationship with our spouse. Because the idea is this, is that we will not raise better, more godly kids if we aren't having a godly, good relationship. So you need to work on your area, your, your marriage, your relationship with your spouse. And there's two areas in particular that you need to think about. That is one is this, and I'm doing it in reverse fashion for a reason, you need to approach your parenting as partners. What I mean by that is this, is that you need to realize that as parents, you are partners. It isn't the one's responsibility to do the parenting and the other one gets, uh, gets a day off every day, seven days a week. It is not the responsibility of the wife, mother alone, or the husband, father alone. It is a team effort, and it's supposed to be conducted that way. What we mean by that is that what you need to do is that the, together you decide your parenting principles. Together you approach this. It should not be done like this. 
Like all of a sudden the wife deciding and saying, this is the way all the discipline is going to be done and you better do it my way. That is not the way that God has designed it. That all of a sudden one of you makes the decisions with unilaterally about what you're going to do with the kids and how you're going to raise those kids. It's a teamwork effort that you need to be working in harmony and in communication in raising the kids. You should not be in competition for the kids' affection. You should not be vying via toys or gifts or being the nice one. And you are being the soft person and they're being the hard person. And you're making your spouse to look like the bad guy. No, not at all. You are partners. You're supposed to be supporting each other. You're supposed to be, be giving a unified front. That means no arguing in front of the kids. That means that if there's a difference of opinion, you go aside, but you have a united front in presenting to one another that you are supporting, that you are backing up each other, and that you are working together as a team before God Almighty for the benefit of your kids. You partner as parent, you parent as partners. You work together. Anything less than this will lead to some real severe problems for your kids. In their own life as well as in their marriage life, they will repeat those mistakes of one of the other abdicating, one of the other taking total control, one of the other disrespecting. You do not want that to continue generation after generation. You partner as, you, I just keep on saying it backwards, you parent as partners partners. Something else that is involved with this. If you work at your relationship with your spouse, it means you not only parent as partners, but secondly, you prioritize your spouse. That means this. That means your kids are not your first and foremost relationship. It is your relationship with your spouse. It is the idea that what you realize is that this relationship as husband and wife, before God Almighty, this is the most important relationship in your family unit. It isn't you as the mother, and I understand how those kids will demand and need, especially in those early years, a lot of time and attention. I understand that. And there will be time where both of you are sacrificing greatly. Both of you are giving up for the sake of the kids. There are moments that that is necessary, but that should not be your attitude that says, this is what we're doing. We're giving up our relationship for the sake of the child for the next years. They can't do that. Your relationship with your spouse is your primary relationship according to the Word of God. It was the first social unit. God did not create a family unit in the Garden of Eden that was called kids and then stuck parents there. He put a husband and a wife and said later on you're going to be able to have children. The primary unit of the social order is for a husband and wife being the head of it. It is the, the unit that God repeated like in Ephesians 5. And you may want to turn there. We're going to be addressing Ephesians 5 for the majority of this morning. In Ephesians 5 the first area of relationship that he talks with after being filled with the Spirit by the Spirit of God is submit yourselves one to another telling the husbands and wives to work together to take their roles. He doesn't talk about the children until the end of chapter 5 going into chapter 6. He does the same thing in Titus 2 where he says the older teach the younger. He talks about older ladies teach the younger woman how to love their husbands, how to do this, 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 this with their husbands and then how to love their children. In Colossians chapter 3 he ta- and 4 he talks about that same idea about, parent, uh, about relationship as couples. Then he gets into the idea of uh, the I- relationship of parents. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2, remember where he says, the man shall leave his father and mother and do what? Shall cleave unto his wife and they shall keep on becoming 
one flesh. The idea is that we're training our kids to leave and develop a totally different relationship. Our relationship with our children is on a temporary basis. I know the relationship will be there, but that idea is we're training them to move from us and to become reliant upon another individual, their spouse. And so we go and say that that relationship has got to be the primary one because in God's word it is the priority relationship. As well, your relationship with your spouse is your permanent relationship. The others are designed that the kids will leave the home, that they will take off, go and start their own family. But you're not supposed to take off and leave your spouse. We read in the Word of God other ideas about that sin that we that go beyond the Genesis 2, where it says, keep on always becoming one flesh. We read about husbands, keep on dwelling with your wives according to knowledge. We read what Jesus said to the disciples when he was asked about divorce and remarriage. He said, so they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore God is joined together. Let no man put apart. The idea that God's intent is that you as husband and wife have a permanent relationship until death do you part. And so God gives us a picture of this where multiple times God has established covenants. He did it with Abraham. He did it with Moses. He did it with Noah where he established covenants at times. And most of the time the covenants had these different types of, uh, of, of ingredients. There was an agreement between the parties. There's an oath taken. There's a sacrifice that is given. There's a witness that is proclaimed. There's some form of celebration, whether it be private or, pu- or public. The whole idea is that when you make a covenant, you do your part no matter what the other person does. Now, in the Word of God, there were some one-way covenants. In the Word of God, there were some two-way covenants. But the point of a covenant that is different than a contract is this. You do your part no matter what that individual does. And you're supposed to continue even if that other person breaks their part of the covenant. You continue. Marriage is a covenant. It's more than a contract, more than a legal saying I do. It is the idea that you make an agreement. You make an oath. You sacrifice. We ask those questions. Do you promise to take this person? Do you covenant before this this assembly? Do you say to, to that individual, I will love you. I will follow you. I will, I will take care of your needs until death do us part. There's witnesses there. You give rings. There's witnesses with the other people that are standing there. There's celebration both at that wedding time and then in the days that follow and saying this is a covenant we have made that we promise to do our part no matter what the other person does. Even if they're falling flat, I have covenanted before God to be the best I can be towards my spouse. So it's an important area that you and I look at and say before our children, before our God, that we demonstrate to them that we are committed to following God's word in this relationship. So we prioritize our mate. How do you do that? Well, one of them is you fulfill your duties. You have, everyone in this room, every man, every husband, every wife has God-given duties that you are supposed to be doing towards your spouse, towards your family in general, which we'll talk about. But right for today and the next time I speak, we'll talk about what about your spouse. You have God-given duties. You also have to work at fulfilling full your desires for this spouse. 
That is getting closer. Keep on becoming one flesh which is much more than a sexual activity. It is the idea of growing and bonding together. Now how do you do that? What do I do for Deb? What does she do for me? That we keep on growing together. Not only our duties but growing in our desires for one another. Well the, God, the Word of God gives us several specific areas to work on. In fact Ephesians 5, that's where we'll start today. We'll pick up with it in a couple of weeks on a couple other texts. But in Ephesians 5 we'll go there. And again I invite you to come join with me as we go over some material that the last time we covered this in this auditorium was back in 2014. And we talked with this whole session on what's the husband, what's the wife supposed to be doing? How do we work at our relationship? What areas can I improve on? You know, this is so important that we fulfill our duties. Let's see, you're following sports. You're watching the baseball game. What if all of a sudden the outfielder said, I'm not going to work in the outfield anymore. Somebody else can do it. I'd rather go and sit over there by the first base and I'll, st- I'll join the guy at first base. No, it won't work. Because everybody on the opposing team, if they're smart, they're going to hit that ball right where there's this gap. They have assigned duties. My favorite sport is football. Well, what if playing football, everybody on that front line said, we all want to be receivers. How much time is the quarterback going to have if everybody bails out? Your body has assigned responsibilities. Your lungs have a certain responsibility. What if they decided in the next hour that they no longer wanted to work as lungs, but they all of a sudden wanted to work at feet, as the feet in your body? you wouldn't last more than a few minutes because you would die because of the lack of breathing, the lack of ability. Even if some of those, those unimpressive organs, all of a sudden if they shifted from their assigned duty that God has created you, that then you would suffer. So does your marriage. If in your marriage you say, well, God has given me this assigned duty, but I don't want to do it anymore. You're going to hurt your body. That is your marriage. You're becoming one flesh. And so God's Word gives us particular duties for for the man, for the wife. And they are for everyone, whether they are parents or not. They are for every age of everyone who is married. Some of you have yet to come that direction. It's good. It's best that you learn right now what are some of those assigned duties so that that person that I am dating, they show whether or not they will fit into those duties. Because if they don't, you don't want to marry that individual. Some of you have children that are thinking about getting married. You need to sit down and express from the Word of God what are some of the assigned duties that they are going to have to fulfill towards their spouse and rehearse them. And even if it means if you sit down with your adult children and say, listen, I did not fulfill the way, the best way that I could. But I want to warn you, I want to encourage you, do what God said in this one area. Here's where I didn't do it right, but you can and express and tell and encourage. What's the husband supposed to do? What are some of his assigned duties. Ladies, I know you just took a big sigh of, bre- of relief and said, yes, give it to them. Okay? Hang on, ladies. I'm coming to you in a few moments. Okay? Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5. What does he say in this text? God particularly looks at the husbands and says, I want you to be the leader in the home. He mentions it in several different, uh, different verses in this text. He says, the head of the wife is the husband. He makes the comment in verse 24, let the wives be subject or following their own husbands, letting him be the leader. He says in 1 Corinthians 11, the head of the woman is the man. Now taking those texts and just going 
going through this biblical principles, what is he talking about? What does he mean about this idea that the woman was, the man wasn't created for the woman, but the woman for the man? The idea that the man was there first, what does that mean? What does he mean by the idea of following and submission and leadership? Does it mean that the man is supposed to be making all the decisions in the home? That he is supposed to be directing every aspect of it? That she can't go shopping? Can't spend a single dollar without his approval? Without his, his input? Does it mean that when she gets up, she has to go to him and say, what do you want me to wear this day? No, see, that violates the Bible. In 2 Timothy, it says that the women are to dress themselves, and he talks about whatever the, what attire. In fact, in Timothy's writing and in Titus's writing, it talks about the woman managing the home and keeping the home, which is the idea of you ladies are supposed to be in charge to a degree. Well, how does that fit with this text? Where you're, the men are supposed to be the leaders. So well, let's see if we can understand this a little bit better. Let's go a little, little bit of, of, uh, of uh, offline and say, what is this about male leadership in the home? I'll tell you what it's not. It's not popular. Right now, some of you have tuned me out. Right now, some who are listening on the web, when they get to this point, they've just shut this thing off. Right now, there is this idea that this is, t- that you're meaning that the ladies are inferior. No, I am not. Not at all. It is not suggesting that the ladies are lesser individuals than the men, that they are dumber, more ignorant, less competent than a man. I am not saying that. I don't believe that. That's not what Scripture says. We are not saying that this is something that is cultural and is only unique to a certain era of time. No. No, no, no. Okay? In fact, this isn't a result of the fall. Get that out of your mind, believers. That you might say, well, the reason that we have this order of leadership is because Adam and Eve blew it in the garden. Therefore, this is a part of the fall. This is a part of the curse. No, it is not. This idea of orderliness, this idea of the male leading is not a part of the sinful curse. It is not a negative thing. It is something that started with the very beginning of creation that we'll see in the, in the next few minutes. The design was not a cultural thing that was only for an era but now we are more mature we are more civilized we Americans we are far more advanced we are so advanced we all have cell phones they didn't have that back in the day and so all those things that are old and and ancient like ladies submitting to men and men becoming the leaders that's all you know obnoxiously uh, outdated that's not true not for the believer who is following the word of God as God dictates and God suggests. It is not a bad thing. In fact, in the Trinity, there is orderliness. There is a head, and there are submissive beings within the Trinity themselves. We could go to this text and show you that he writes in 1 Corinthians 11, I would have you to know the head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. The head of Christ is God. Now watch how you can chart this. What he means by that is God the Father is the authority over Jesus Christ the Son. Christ is fully equal equal to God, and yet Christ submits himself to God the Father, as God the Father was leading, as God the Father planned, as God the Father. In fact, he prays and he says, I have finished your works. I'm here to glorify your name. And yet they're both God. They're both equal in many ways, but in their orderliness, you have, and you have the Father above the Son. Okay? In orderliness for the family. He says, by comparison to the Trinity, the head of the wife is the husband. He says she 
she is fully therefore equal to man in many ways though she is the weaker vessel and I know I'm not discounting the biological and emotional differences that could be there but in, in value she is as valuable as the man. She can make as great of contributions yet in orderliness for the family God says this is the way it's going to be as orderliness in the Trinity where one is leading and the others are subordinate and following that leadership so in a family that is God designed there is one who's in leadership and the others are following. I want you to catch something though. For the men you keep this in mind you are still even though you're the head you are under Christ. The head of the, of the man is Christ. You cannot do as you please just because you are the head of the home. You are supposed to be following Jesus Christ. In other words headship the submission idea it's a good thing. It is beyond the results of the fall. It is done in the Bible from the beginning of creation. It is something that should be in your home because if you are not following this you are not following the designed pattern that God has for every family. You are becoming an anomaly. You are becoming aberrant. You are becoming something that is contrary to God's design and it will not work. You will have problems. You will not be successful unless you follow God's plan and God's design. Something else. We are not saying that one is inherently better than the other or superior to in value, in ability. We're not saying that at all. It doesn't imply that. But in management, in orderliness, there has to be one leading, one following. We would point out this, that this partnership doesn't mean that the one in charge can do as he pleases. He's accountable to Jesus Christ. So you see, the point is to maintain all this, it's not easy. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be attacked by Satan. It's going to be disrupted. We'll show you that in a few moments exactly how that happened all the way back in the beginning of time. But you and I are supposed to realize that this is something good for our families. This is something good for our marriage relationship. The man does not need to make all the decisions. I already mentioned about the woman being the manager, the guide of the home. Nor does it mean that if he's the leader he should never consult his wife, should never have her input. Are you kidding? Which one of us men have all the answers? Our wives wonder if we have any at times. Okay? And rightfully so. Especially if we say that we have all the answers. How arrogant. How pompous. Didn't Jesus Christ go and communicate multiple times with the Father for direction? We should be in that same vein that we are saying we need to consult with our partner, with those who are in this organization, to this entity, to help, to guide, to give us some, some understanding, to be able to. I, I, we, raised, we raised the four, four kids, two boys, two girls. Which one is easier to raise, the boys or the girls? The proverbial question, okay? I'll tell you this much. I had to bank on my wife more often than not to try to figure out the girls. No offense, Becky, that you're visiting here this morning. That you're within earshot. I forgot one of them's here. Ooh. <laughs> they were a delight. The girls were really a delight. Which one's easier to raise? Girls. Yeah. Okay. Does that, does that compensate? Okay. Okay. We're good. Let me get off that one. I'm in deep trouble. All right. Ideas. Positive ideas for leadership. Men, here's what it means. It means you need to be willing to make the necessary tough decisions. The decisions that the two of you cannot come up with a full answer between you, you got to make the decision. Somebody's got to make the decision at times. You got to do it. It means this, that you make decisions the best for the whole family. No, no. 
I want to make a decision that really fits into my schedule. I want to go hunting. I want to go you know, on vacation here. And so I'm making the decision and the decisions always happen to be everything I like. Isn't that great? That's not to work that way. That's not leadership. That's selfishness. You're to make sure that the others, including your wife, are not overwhelmed. You see, part of leadership is, means you are protecting your family. You are leading them in projects. You are leading them in ministry. You are leading them in what they are doing that is helpful and beneficial to your family. You need to take the lead at times, guys, on what is helpful to our kids. How much activity can the kids get involved in? Oh, they've got the sports. They've got the this. They've got the this. You've got to be a leader sometimes. Then realize that they can overextend themselves where it can be great for all their social activity, but what about their academic well-being? What about their spiritual well-being? What is the important role? What is the important activity? Men, you're to be the leader. You're supposed to be protecting. You're supposed to be leading. You're supposed to be helping so that the, the kids, so that your spouse doesn't feel overwhelmed or overburdened because you're not taking your part. You're supposed to provide the protection we said. You're to be giving the example. Leadership is examples. Leadership is saying, hey, here's the way we treat our relatives. And you give the example of how to show patience and kindness. How to show firmness when it is needed. How to go and talk without blasting and destroying relationships for the rest of the life. You need to show your kids how to handle a trial. Leadership that says, okay, if the car breaks down, how do we respond when things aren't going our way on the middle of the road? By example, this is leadership. Leadership is saying, I'm going to demonstrate for them how to speak kindly to the most important person in their life. So you, by example, you demonstrate that. You lead how to speak respectfully. You lead how to show love. You lead how to forgive. You lead how to worship. That's your role, gentlemen. You're the over, you oversee and make sure that everything is provided for financially. Doesn't mean you have to be the one that has to pay every bill, but you have oversight, that you are physically taking care of the, the family, that you are emotionally taking care of, socially taking care of the family. Yes, dads, if you see that there's a relationship that your kids are getting involved in that's not a healthy relationship, you take leadership on how to disconnect that, how to handle them in that relationship so that it doesn't hurt them. That's your job. You're the leader, according to God's word. In this leadership, you give direction. That is exactly when he's giving qualifications for the deacons and for the pastors. He is not saying that when he says one that manages or rules well his own home, that all of your kids have to be forever following the word of God exactly the way everybody expects. All of us have children who have sin natures. All of us are struggling at parents to try to keep those kids on target at times. The qualification for a leader is not that of the results of making sure they are doing that, but the, the qualification is, dad, uh, how are you handling the situation? You have a child who is struggling spiritually. They may not even be saved. So how do you deal with them? You manage. You deal with. You are supposed to be, as a leader, taking the decisions that are trying to provide the best possible avenue, even of trying to win them to Christ, even of trying to bring a backslider to Jesus Christ. The criteria is, what are, what are you doing as the father? Are you making Taking and taking steps to try to deal with and try to help them to come along. But we all understand they have free will. And we understand that we do our very best. 
But dads, are you doing the, taking the initiative to manage, to direct, to lead them in the right direction? As a good leader, you're going to utilize the gifts, the talents, the wisdom of your spouse. You're going to utilize the talents, gifts of your kids. You're going to enhance them by using them, giving them practice. You're going to be an active participant in the development of your family. Dad, as a leader, you should know what's going on in school with your kids. As a leader, you should be aware of what they're involved in. As a leader, you should be the one that, that is being involved. If there's something in the house that's taking place, something so little as this, let's take you to the little kid's age. If I'm in the home, I really believe this. Part of my leadership role is when I'm there, I am supposed to be taking, have been taking, an act role in what's going on. If there's a conflict between the kids, I should be an active participant in resolving that conflict. Even if the Vikings are on and I'm preoccupied, I have a responsibility as the leader of the home that I should take and relieve some of the burden upon my wife from having to be the sole disciplinarian. I should be doing that when I'm present. I should be helping out and showing that we are a team, that what mom has said when I am gone, it is enforced at this moment. That's leadership. Leadership is being an active participant, encouraging, getting involved. I just was listening to one man share a testimony. He says that what he did, he just started with the family. They had just right before supper, they would each take turns just real quickly. Just let's pray for something. If something, prayer request was mentioned, let's just remember to pray and assign. He said, I started by assigning my kids different prayer requests we heard at church and within two minutes before the meal, we all prayed. He says, you developed into such a pattern for our family that when we we went on vacation months later. The kids said, hey, Dad, are we still going to have our prayer time? It's five-minute prayer time as a family. Are we still going to do that, or are we on vacation from God too? The kids were serious. He said, boy, did that just strike into the heart, how important it is. And he said, it became one of our really connecting points as a family to be praying to now it's developed as our kids are getting older and going out of the home. Guess what the kids are doing with one another? Emailing and sharing prayer requests knowing that the family members are going to... Where did that get learned from? Dad, taking the initiative and just doing something simple of saying, let's, let's have some prayer time together. Let's do some Bible talks. I think it's really novel, but I think it's biblical that the dad is the one to say, why don't we go to church? Why don't we go to church this evening? Why don't we go to church on a Bible study? Why don't we go visit one of the shut-ins? It should be dad taking some of the initiative. He should be the leader in those areas, giving clear instruction and not abdicating his responsibilities just because we're tired because of all that's gone on, but rather saying, okay, I am going to be involved. And I realize that I am going to work with my wife as a leader to help her, to encourage her, to build her up. So guys... You've got some of these examples we can give you. The idea of disciplinarian. The idea of making sure your kids are respectful to your wife by you demonstrating that and demanding it. By you prompting spiritual conversations. By you setting up a budget for the sake of your wife instead of just saying, don't spend all the money at the store and she has no clue what that meant. By you... When there's a bad phone call, you can't pay the bills this week, you're going to run behind. Wife, you got a call. Why don't you take the initiative to lead in the home and you make that nasty phone, not, not that you're nasty, but the call itself, just having to say we can't pay. You 
take the initiative. You don't make her do all the dirty work, but you doing that. Being aware of what's going on. That's leadership. Leadership is getting involved. And it's easy for you to sit here and to say, well, I'm the leader in the home. Oh, by the way, can I say something here? I'm going to anyway. Okay, can I say something in this regard? For some of you who are just newly married or getting married and don't have kids, what you do in your marriage right now will set patterns for when the kids come. If you don't, men, young men, if you don't become the leader in your family now, it's not going to change when you bring a baby home. You have got to be the spiritual leader. You've got to be the one that says, let's get to Sunday school. You've got to be the one that says, let's, let's start planning a budget. You've got to be the one that says, okay, I'm going to help you right now with leading in the sense of what can I do as the leader in the home, what can I do to help you f- not feel so overwhelmed and overburdened? Because if you don't do that now, when the kids come, you'll be in sudden patterns and it'll, even, it'll sink her even more emotionally. You start now by becoming the leader in the home. By the way, let's flip this over. What does it mean, that same text, what does it mean for the wife, for the mother? Let's use that dirty S word, submission, being submissive. Right away there's the, oh, no, no, here you go. Right away when we use the word submission, it has a bad connotation. Not biblically. Biblically it does not. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husband. Even as the church is subject, let the wives be to their own husbands. Teach the younger woman to be obedient, to be submissive to their own husbands. What's that same idea we just mentioned? This is so easy to just run through. You're not inferior. It's not saying that you are kowtowing to him and saying whatever you want. I find this happens frequently. I notice this frequently in, in counseling with young couples, especially premarital, that there's a frequent pattern that comes up that all of a sudden as I'm asking questions, the guys are the more, the more forceful. Here's what we're doing, here's what we're doing, here's what we're doing. Or in the relationship, the guy does the talking, which is good for leadership. But there's a pattern unfortunately, where the girl just sits quietly and doesn't participate, doesn't say anything. As he talks, and I say, do you have any problems? Okay, this happens quite a bit. Do you have any tensions between you and your parents that you're learning how to deal with? And by the way, the majority of people will say, yes. Okay, don't, don't feel bad, parents. My kids told everybody the same thing. Okay, so you, there's tensions because they have strong, strong, you know, family environment. And then it'll usually go into a conversation that's kind of busting on the girl's family. Frequently, the girl just sits there and doesn't say anything. And in my mind, I'm going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is she going to speak? Or is she developing a pattern that she's letting him say whatever he wants even if it's taking her heart and stamping on it? And more often than not, that's what's happening. More often than not, when we get into deeper counseling, things are being said that are very, not intended to be, not intended to be destructive, but they're hurting. They're, They're eating up on the inside. She doesn't want to say anything. Because if she says something, maybe he'll explode. If she says something, maybe he'll, maybe he'll, he'll break this off. Let me see if I can come at it and finish it up. Guys, some of, some of you have superpowers. There went your ego right now. Okay, you got superpowers. What I mean by that is you can do some of the most amazing things. You can lift people up to the highest heights with just something so small. You can destroy with something so small. 
Some of us with our words. We can say something so simple and so, so inane, we think, but it's like dropping a boulder in the pond. It just ripples through her heart. It just kind of just crushes her. But we don't even think about it. We, we, might, say, we might say something so, so simple as, boy, it seems like everything around here is burnt lately. And it's a fact. It's all been burnt. Well, three out of the last six meals. But we say, you know, are you ever able to get something done just once? The word just once has just dropped a boulder in the pond. Because you got these superpowers. You can destroy her. And so these girls sit here at times in counseling, and they're not, they've not come to the point that they're saying, I am going to express myself. I'm going to speak openly and honestly because fear? I don't know. But they've got to be able to learn that submission does not mean that what you do is you are of such lesser value and worth that, that he can do whatever he wants or say whatever he wants to say and you just got to live and take it, you know? That your opinions, your feelings are not important. That's not what we're suggesting or saying at all. That is not submission. Submission is not saying that, you know, you just got to do whatever I say and any way I say it because I'm the leader. No, not at all. Not at all. That's not what we're saying. But by the way, the submission factor is not optional. It's not something you can pick and choose just because you don't like what he says. There's this whole area that makes this so hard and so difficult. Submission is this. It's to be universal. All you wives submit to your own husbands. It is to be voluntary. You submit to yourselves. It is this idea that you do it to your own husbands. You submit to him, not to everybody else who comes along. You keep on submitting to your husband. You do this in everything. You are not saying, okay, as long as he does his stuff first. No, this is a covenant. A covenant, you do your job whether he's doing his or not. That's how you handle this. This submission idea is the idea that this is as unto the Lord. You know what that means? Submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord in Ephesians. It's an act of spiritual service that you are doing or the idea is that you submit your submission to your husband is parallel to your submission to the Lord. In other words, if you don't do what this submission idea, you aren't following Christ. By the way, this submission is to be beneficial. Ladies, it is beneficial to you spiritually, to your relationship with your marriage. It is beneficial to your own joy. It is beneficial to your, to your offspring. Now to make and say, okay, what does it exactly look like? It's allowing your husband to lead as, Christ, as the church allows Christ to lead. Christ leads the assembly. We're not oppressed. We're not neglected. In fact, we're kind of spoiled by Jesus Christ. We're not ignored. Ladies, you submit as the church to Christ. We're not kept in ignorance. We're not, we're not kept in poverty. We're not kept where we can't have an opinion or think or have feelings. He is so attentive to those areas of our life. It is basically saying, I'm going to follow his leadership without criticism, without complaint. I'm not going to rag on him. I'm not going to nag him. I'm not going to refuse to listen. I'm not going to say, you do what you want when you're in the house, but I'll do what I want when I'm there. It's not the idea that you are, you are challenging him with whatever comes up. It is basically saying, I want you to lead. I will follow you. And yes, there may be times we don't agree, but I'm going to follow your leadership. And I'm not going to bring it up. I told you so. Okay? It is the idea of doing what the church does to Jesus Christ. Compare yourself. 
Do we seek the Lord's input, that we go to Him, we're open to His direction, His guidance. Some things He allows us to choose as a body. Some are very clear directives in the Word of God. So too in the marriage relationship. After discussion, we go and say, okay, here's what it is, here's a principle. You set up the pattern, we're going to follow, we're going to submit. But we never submit to doing something wrong. We don't submit and say, I'm going to follow you into lying. I'm going to follow you into cheating. I'm going to follow you into dishonesty. I'm going to follow you into, into mistreating other people. I'm going to follow you into lack of forgiveness and bitterness. You can't do that. Can't do that. The Word of God is very clear, ladies, that you're supposed to be allowing Him to lead. There's another area for the ladies. Oh, wait, I wanted to do this chart. Can I, you, some of you right now are going, this is, just, this is just so weird and so strange. And, you know, can I, can I challenge you to think this through? We are all the way back in our minds to Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 1 and 2 is all about creation order. Let, let's just look at the parties, the individuals, the, the involvement as far as biological beings in the garden. Who's at the top? Who's at the top of the beings in the garden? Okay, let, let's put God right there. He's the creator. This is God's order, okay? God would be at charge. Who did he create then to have dominion? First part of creation. Adam, the man. Then from man, who did he make to be the partner? After he said, name all the animals, and there wasn't one suitable for him, then he put him into the deep sleep and brought up Eve. So who's our third person in this order? Okay, got the woman. And then beneath all of them is what other creatures? Okay, well, it would be the children and animals. <laughs> I'm not touching that one any further. Okay, yeah. Watch what happens in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, when Satan comes and tempts, what creature claims to be authority? Well, how does Satan come to them? As a snake, okay? Who does he go to? Who does she then give direction to? And where is God? He's at the bottom. Anytime we disrupt the order that God originally planned, we've got a mess. We've always got a mess. In your home, can you men, ladies, husbands, wives, can you say, we are setting up a home? It's true. It's true. We would say to each other, right now, we could look at each other and say, it's true. God is at the head. We are working in the orderliness where you, the man is leading, the woman is following as a partner. Can you honestly say that that's the way it is in your child's dis children's discipline? Can you say that's the way it's working when it comes to how you handle finances? Can you say that's the way it's coming when we determine what we're going to do for pleasure activity? Is that's the way we're working when it comes to ministry, church and worship, for entertainment? This is what we're doing. This is the pattern that we have. Or is it reversed? If you reverse it, I'm going to pick the one area that's usually reversed. If you reverse this where the wife is the one who is demanding how the training of the children goes, you are outside of God's pattern. How can you expect him to bless in the raising of those kids? It's going to create problems for the kids. It is a disorder. 
It is an anti what God said for your orderliness of your home. It's going to become a problem for your kids. As time goes by, the chances are as your kids look and see that mom is the final say and the authority, then they don't have to listen to God either and you will prosper rebellious children. You say, no, 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 my kids aren't rebellious, they're sweet and cuddly. That's because they're two, three, four, five. When they get to be 12, 13, 14, 15, they have seen disorder for their entire life in the home. Therefore, they can follow disorder as well and not put God first. Wives, what else are you supposed to do? Let's cover this one fast. Support your husband. It says, wives reverence your husband. It said, Abraham, this is such a good passage, she called him Lord. Now, Deb, you don't have to come and kiss my feet, okay? Well, not too much, okay? Is that what the text is saying? Master Wayne, you know, she should come to me and say, Lord Wayne, what would you like for supper? If I suggest that, I'm wearing supper, okay? (laughs) How does this, what does this look like? It means that in reverence, we drop the belittling. You drop the, the, the criticism. You drop the disrespect. You drop the whatever. You drop the talking him down. You, you, that's not respectful. That's not, that's not profitable. Okay? In, in, in just the opposite, to respect him, do these types of things. Speak about him graciously. Speak to him. I, I, I tell you what, it, I cringe. I cringe, I cringe, I cringe when I see couples being rude to each other. Especially couples engaged. It's like you're starting off your relationship and, and you, you use terms and you're just, there's no politeness, there's no graciousness, there's no gentlemanliness. There's just the, you know, the abruptness and the, wow. If you're doing that when you're dating, wow. What's your home going to become like? The graciousness, isn't it amazing we can treat everyone here graciously and be polite with everyone here. We go home and we're the rudest at home to the people we're supposed to be the most gracious to. We've got this in a, in a backwards order. Not, I'm not promoting be rude to the people. Get out of my pew. You know, move. Okay. I'm not saying that. Okay. But rather what we should be doing is working and saying let's build one another up. Let's build him up. Let's ask him the Bible questions. Let's thank him for the work that was done today. And say, you did a great job. Thank you for providing for me. Just, you know, I really appreciate you. Ladies, start off early in the relationship. Building this idea of respect and, and bragging on them. What are you doing in that area? Guys, there's one more area in this text of Ephesians 5 that is repeated. You're to be the lover. You're to be the lover. In fact, look at the text, what he does with this. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. So ought men to love their wives. Let every one of you love his wife. Here, you know, you're to be the lover. It's commanded. It's not an optional thing. Why does he repeat it so many times? Why is it that he has to say to the guys, lover, lover, lover? Well, is it one of these? That the men are hard of hearing? Is it because it's hard to do? Is it because we're we're just disconnected? Is it because someone in the church isn't doing it? Is it because the the wives need to be encouraged that, hey, we're, we're talking to that guy of yours? I don't know what the reason is, but I know he repeated it several times. Therefore, we've got to give attention to it and say, the area that we work on, first and foremost, is to love the wife to really make her the apple of our eye, to really do what the Word of God says, that all of us, all the husbands, he says, all of you husbands do this, that your focus is upon her, 
primarily. She's the attention one. She's the one that gets your time. It's to be continuous. Keep on loving her over and over. Not just when she pleases you. Not just when she's the most beautiful and, uh, you know, and all dolled up. Not when she's doing what you want. You're to love as Christ loved her at all times even when we don't look our very best. We're to love the wife. There's a picture, okay? That's not what we're supposed to be doing, okay? You're supposed to be really giving her... Now, some of you just woken up. We're in the middle of a section. You heard giggling. We're in the middle of a section of, you know, loving your wives. By the way, you know what this says? It says to me that you can control your emotions. When the guys come along and say, oh, I can't help it, I've fallen out of love with your wife, you chose to do that. You chose Well, you don't know what it's like. I saw this one at work and this gal at work and she listened to me. She understood me because she's not married to you. Okay, she understood you. Yeah. And and she paid me. You control your emotions. Or should we say the Spirit of God is supposed to control them. So this garbage of falling in and out of love is pure garbage. Okay? That's you allowed that to happen. You allowed to go away from the Word of God. It's to be Christ-like. The standard for our love is very simple. As you love your own bodies, and guys, we kind of love these bodies. We take care of them. We protect them. We do what we want. I mean, if I want to be able to really, you know, do something, I can work it out that it's God's will for me to do it. Wife. Okay, this is where God is leading us. We can, we can look and say, as Christ loved the church, and boy, that's a bloated statement because you've got to answer this question, fill in the blank. If I'm to love my wife as Christ loved the church, I've got to stop and say, what was that love like? Fill in the blank. His love towards us was... Keep on going. Okay. Got to say it louder. I'm deaf. Sacrificial. Selfless. Unconditional. Pardon me? Faithful. Faithful. Oh, that's a good one. I just wrote down a few. You, got, you write your own. You, you can make a list that it is love that even if it's not merited, love that is merciful, love that is patient, love that is forgiving, is that the way you are towards your spouse? Are you been forgiving or are you still angry over something she did a couple weeks ago? It's not Christ-like love. You're still upset with her. You're still saying, we went over this. This happens time and time again. Well, good thing Christ doesn't abandon us when we repeat things. You're supposed to be loving like Christ. You're to be caring. In fact, in Ephesians 5, verse 29, love, it says, nourish and cherish her. There's the words. The words are to feed her, to help her, to grow her, to keep her warm and comforted, to help her to feel the snuggly, the snuggly things, you know. The, the feel-good things. That's your job, man. You're supposed to sacrifice for her. You're supposed to build her spiritually. What have you done for your wife in the last three weeks to help her spiritually? Have you prayed with her? Have you encouraged her in her spiritual walk? Have you given some assistance in something she's battling with? That's what you're supposed to do. You're to seek her best. You're to be sensitive towards her. Gentlemen, you're to be loving her like 1 Corinthians says. You're supposed to express your devotion. You're supposed to reassure. When's the last time you wrote a love note to your wife? When's the last time that you just pulled her aside and gave her a really, a really sweet 
hug and kiss? When's the last time you told her how important? When's the last time you sat down and said, I will listen without interjection to what you have to say? I will let you talk without interruption, without explanation, just to, you know, I, I, I may have hurt you some way, and I'm going to listen to you fully without trying to defend myself. And when it's all said and done, I realize I hurt you, and I'm wrong. And I have my reasons why I did it, but right now I'm looking and saying they really don't, they really don't make a hill of beans because I hurt you. When's the last time you gave her some of your time really focused on her. When's the last time you went on a date? It amazes me that there are couples who have been married for years and they have not gone on a date. Ever since the kid has arrived, we don't go on dates. Why not? Why not? You're still supposed to be wooing one another. Well, who's going to watch the kids? <laughs> I was going to say something smart. I'll get in trouble. Somebody will turn me in. <laughs> get swap babysitters with somebody else, another young couple. And work at saying, we need time. We need time to just focus on her. You'd be a lover. Now I ask you men, how are you doing? You're the wrong person. I should be asking wives, how's he doing? How's he doing? And if it wasn't for the sake of you want to protect reputation, what would you honestly say? He really does pay attention to me. He really is building me up. You see, it all goes back to this. It all goes back to the idea that we want to parent, but it starts off with this relationship the relationship that we're building our family. Otherwise, you're putting a tree at the end of your kid's slide. You're, letting, you're going to let them crash into something if you're not the husband, you're not the wife you're supposed to be. They're going to hit a brick wall in time. They won't know how to follow God's word. They won't know how to lead. They won't know how to love. It's up to you. You're supposed to be doing that. We'd start with our principles. We end with our principles, right? From the start, we said this. You cannot... Raise godly kids without God's help. You've got to follow his word. You've got to accept the Lord, build the house, they that labor, you're laboring in vain. You need to do what God said. We said number two when we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Our kids don't belong to us. They're on loan from God. We must, therefore, respond to them as God's property. We'll pick this up in a couple weeks. We said this, number three. You as a parent need to address what your kids are more than what they are doing. You need to go for the heart. You need to be dealing with their heart. Principle number four is this. You must parent as partners, which demands you put your partner first. You build the relationship with your partner first and foremost. If you don't, it's not going to work. For you to do that, you've got to work on these areas. Oh, by the way, you looked at your notes and said, hey, you missed some stuff. No, I haven't. We'll pick up. There's several more for both the men and the ladies. But for right now, this is more than enough to work on as you say, hey, we need to work on this relationship.